This morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts, so I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading at verse 8, and uh, a fairly lengthy passage this morning, but uh, just listen uh, closely to the word, the words of the Lord. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing, up, gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our fathers, our father Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in the land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him, rescued him out of all of his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamar and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race, forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. And this time, at this time, Moses was born. Now, he was beautiful in God's sight. He was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians that, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, he came, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man 
and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving him salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and trying to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled, became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire and a bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. And the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, have heard their groaning, and I've come down to deliver them. And now I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him in Mount Sinai. With our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, who led us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. They made a calf in those days, offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke Moses directed, has spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. And our fathers in turn brought it with uh, them with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. And so it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at his right hand. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of God. Father, help us. As we've heard this very lengthy passage this morning, I pray that you now, as we sit before you under the the authority of your word, I pray that you will speak to all of us and that you would do that work in us, that you would make us more like you, our Lord Jesus Christ, in every way. I pray, bless us now and give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When he was appointed as a pastor of the church in Cambridge, England, 1783, Charles Simeon was delighted, but the people of the church did not share his joy. Many of the prominent members of the church opposed his convictions convictions on reaching the lost with the gospel. And so to show their displeasure, they locked their pew boxes during the service and left them empty so that those who came to hear Simeon preach had to stand or sit in the aisles. Eventually, God began to work, and Simeon's ministry had a powerful influence on the nation and the world through his efforts to encourage missionary work. Opposition, this writer says, does not mean that we are doing things wrong. Often it is evidence that we are doing things right. If we allow ourselves to be deterred from doing anything unless we have complete approval, it is certain that we will never accomplish anything of value. Rather than being discouraged by opposition, We should take comfort in God's faithfulness and keep on doing what is right. It has become something of a theme as we have moved through the first part of the book of Acts that the preaching of Jesus and the nature of the kingdom that he spent 40 days instructing his disciples in, that preaching creates opposition. Bottom line, some folk don't want to hear about the kingdom. Some folk don't want to hear about the rule of God come into this world through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's clear that they don't want to hear it because it is upending their hopes and their dreams, their own vision of what the world and their place in it should look like. We were told a couple of weeks ago that the disciples' imprisonment was largely due to the jealousy of the religious rulers. Some folk don't want to hear about a kingdom where, as we said last week, power is service. They love kingdoms where power is control, where power is comfort, where power is wealth, where power is pleasure. But a kingdom where power is service? We don't really want that. Not only do we not want it, they would say, but we are also prepared to do what we need to do to ensure that that kind of kingdom does not advance. We will lock the pew boxes to make it uncomfortable for people to hear you preach. We will make up stories about you, lie and deceive to keep people from listening to you. We'll tell them you're a Marxist. We'll tell them you're a liberal or an Uncle Tom or a sellout. We will lock you up if we need to. And if that doesn't work, well, then we'll just have to do violence to you. We'll just have to kill you. Opposition for preaching the good news of the kingdom of Jesus is not new. It's not new. Evil doesn't really have any new tricks. Keeps playing the same old records. 
recycling the same old narratives, breathing the same old violence, but it's real and it comes to all those who faithfully proclaim the gospel of Christ and the full scope of the rule and reign of God in this world. Is, is this, how do we confront it? How do we bear up under it? How do we act? How do we behave in that opposition? The testimony of Stephen's life is our answer. Stephen points the way forward by showing us that in the face of opposition, believers must stand firm and tell the story right. Must stand firm and tell the story right. You see, the danger in opposition is that our telling of the story about Jesus and what his kingdom looks like can get altered. And it can get altered in the spirit in which we tell it. It can get altered in the content of what we are telling. And it can get altered in our actions after we have told it. I want to suggest to you that in each of these areas, Stephen demonstrated the example of his and our Lord in facing down opposition. Stephen's actions actually are in keeping with how we saw Jesus deal with opposition in the Gospels. Stephen wasn't trying to be Stephen, whatever that would have meant for him. Rather, he was exemplifying Christ to his opposers. And and the call for us is to do the same as we endure opposition for the sake of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world. So what does this look like? Well, as I said, it looks like telling the story right, and it looks like telling the story right in these, well, in these ways. First of all, telling the story with the right spirit, telling the story of the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus with the right spirit. In chapter 6, verse 8, we're told this, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, and then in verse 9, but they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit that the, that the Spirit gave. And in verse 15, we're told, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What are these descriptions? What are these descriptions of Stephen communicating to us? They are communicating, brothers and sisters, that Stephen was not in his flesh. Despite the opposition that he was facing, He did not respond to it in his flesh. Stephen's disputing with his opposers was a mixture of grace and wisdom and power and the glory of God. Though the angels can be frightening in sight, that's not the picture here. It's more like Moses whose face shined because he spent time in the presence of God and was reflecting something of that glory of God, something of that glory of being in God's presence. Stephen was reflecting something of that glory in the same way that the angels who spend all their time in the presence of God do. The point being that Stephen was not manifesting the spirit and demeanor of his opposers, but rather the spirit and the demeanor of his God. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, how we tell the story is important to the story we're telling. How we tell the story is important to the story that we are telling. The apostle Paul tells us, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. It is not just speaking the truth that enables us to grow up into him who is the head, Christ. It is speaking the truth in love. Some of us are good at truth speaking. Some of us are good 
at truth speaking. We are just not so good at love. We love telling the truth and we love seeing people squirm on account of it. We just aren't so good at caring about whether they grow up in the Lord. We will the truth like a weapon to kill rather than a tool for surgery to heal. Now sometimes people die in surgery, but it should be it should not be because we try to kill them. So I hope you see <laughs> that by love I don't mean that we don't tell people what they don't want to hear. I'm not talking about that wishy-washy version of love where we don't tell people the truth. Stephen was disputing his opposers with the truth of the gospel, but he did it with grace. He did it with wisdom. He did it with power. He did it with the glory of God. He wasn't in his flesh. Rather, he was in the Lord. He was in the spirit. He was telling the story right by maintaining the right spirit as he did so. And in that way, he was what Paul would later tell the Colossians to practice. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Colossians 4 verse 6. The call, the call to tell the story right, the story of the gospel, the story of the kingdom of God, the full scope of that kingdom, the call to tell that story right is to tell it with the right spirit, to watch over ourselves, to guard our hearts from those other emotions that can rise to the surface when we are being opposed, to call to ask the Lord to help us, to shape in us his own character. When I feel that unrighteous anger rising in me, that anger that wants to condemn, that wants to judge, that wants to curse, that wants to strike out, I need to ask the Lord to help me to lay that aside. Remembering that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. I may win the argument due to my skill, but I will lose the opportunity to show forth the excellence of Christ and draw others toward the good news of his kingdom. When I, feel that, when I feel that ungracious, unkind spirit rising up in me, that unkindness that wants to ridicule, that wants to belittle, that wants to dis- diminish, I need to ask the Lord to help me lay that aside, remembering that the fruit of the spirit includes kindness. My belittling may make me feel good in the moment, but it won't lead to others coming to know the Lord. The pastor is talking to himself this morning. Y'all just listen in. It won't lead to others being drawn into the kingdom of God's son. And so when we're being opposed, these and other sinful desires may rise up in us. The call is to take that to the Lord and ask him to place his spirit in us, to work in us his own heart, that we too would be filled with grace and wisdom and power and the glory of God's character as we proclaim the good news of his kingdom in this world. Telling the story right means telling the story with the right kind of spirit. (laughs) But it also means telling the story with the right content. It means telling the story with the right content. Stephen isn't able to convince his opposers, which is clear from the fact that they incite men to bring false charges against him so that he'll have to go and stand before the high priest to give answer. And that's what happens. And he goes before the high priest and he's asked by the high priest to respond to these charges. And so Stephen launches into a story that, they, that they've all heard before. 
It's the story of God's redemptive acts in the life of his people, beginning with Abraham. And, and Stephen's telling it culminates right in Jesus. And as Stephen tells a story, he homes in on a couple of things. He homes in on the fact that Israel's very existence as a covenant people is rooted in God's promise. It was a word of promise established in relationship with Abraham, verses 1 to 8. Restated in God's dealing with the patriarchs, verses 9 through 16. Established again with Moses and God's delivering his people from Egypt and giving them his oracles, verses 17 to 43. It, it was spoken again in his promise to David who sought to build a house for God where God, God's people could come and be, remind, be reminded of those promises in their worship and giving of sacrifices, verses 44 to 46. And even though it was not David, but Solomon who built God's house for him, verse 46. So go back, go back and read Stephen's speech and you will see the focus on the promise and God's actions in keeping that promise. But you will also note another theme and that theme is resistance. From the jealousy of the patriarchs who sold their brother into slavery, verse 9, to the resistance of Moses' leadership, verses 27 through 29 and 35 and 39 through 41. And of course, this resistance becomes the theme of Stephen's rebuke where he expands their resistance to the work of the Spirit, to, uh, verse 51, to the work of the prophets, verse 52, who reminded them of God's covenant promises and their responsibilities, covenant people, keeping with those promises. And that resistance showed up in their rejection of Jesus, verse 52. The righteous one, the one whom God's word of promise pointed to, the one whom Moses foretold would come in verse 37. God promises and you resist. God acts in accordance with those promises and you resist. God sends messengers to call you to faithfulness in keeping with those promises and you resist. Promise, resistance. Promise, resistance. Indeed, you are so locked in your resistance that you betrayed and murdered the fulfillment of God's promise to you. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If we're going to tell the story right, it has to call out. It has to call out our resistance. It has to call out our willingness to sell fellow image bearers into slavery. It has to call out our willingness to murder our own brothers over petty disputes. It has to call out our rejection of those sent by God to tell us the truth about ourselves. It has to call out our worship of false gods, those things we have created with our own hands. And it has to call out our attempts to contain God within our structures and systems. Remember, Stephen is in front of the high priest in large part because they lied and said he had spoken against the temple. So Stephen says, okay, here's a word about the temple. It can't fit God. Verse 49. In other words, God says, I'm too big for your temples. Heaven is my throne. I'll say it this way. God sits on galaxies. What am I going to do with the house you've built for me? So I got news for you. Our politics can't contain God. Our social ideologies 
can't contain God. Our ethnic heritages can't contain God. They can, when they are rightly used, convey something of the glory of God. However, God can only fully be seen and known in Jesus Christ. So if we're going to tell the story right, we have to confront the ways that we have not told the story right. The ways we have resisted that story so that we might be led to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the one in whom God has fully made himself known. Telling the story right means telling the story with the right spirit, and it means telling the story right in terms of the ways we have resisted that story. Amen, people of God. Telling the story right means calling out the resistance to that story. The ways we've not told nor lived out that story right means coming to grips, means coming to grips with my own failures and embracing God's story as it is communicated in the scriptures. And, and with our corporate failures and embracing God's story. And that takes courage in the Lord. There is no way that Stephen did not know that his commitment to speak the truth by calling out the sins of these leaders, showing how it was in keeping with the sins of their forefathers, would not mean trouble for him. Stephen knew, he knew that speaking these words to these leaders would not be received well. Telling the truth is not easy, especially when you know that those you are telling it to aren't going to want to hear it. And the danger is that timidity and fear can seize us in those moments. And rather than speaking what is true as God defines it, we wind up compromising the story of God, the truth of the scriptures. We tell people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And we start thinking, we start thinking, if we're honest, we start thinking about our standing in the community, the comfort we have attained, our desire to be held in honor. And we start thinking about our own life and our desire to protect it. But Jesus reminds us, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Luke 9, verse 24. So telling the story right means confronting the ways we resist God's story, the ways we fail to tell it and practice it aright. To do this, we need to exercise courage in the Lord, remembering that the truth, God's truth, saves and sets free. Amen, people of God. So telling the story right means telling the story with the right spirit means telling the story with the right content, that is, that, is, that is calling out the ways that we have resisted the story, resisted the promises of God, but also means telling the story with the right actions. You can tell the story right with the right spirit and the right content, but on some occasions, the opposition will only deepen. In Stephen's case, it led to a violent reaction. His opposers were so beside themselves in rage 
that the text says they ground their teeth at him. And when he spoke of seeing the heavens open and Jesus standing at God's right hand, a statement of his exalted status as king and ruler, they became even more enraged. The text says they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. Indeed, the verb for cried out means, means to shriek. They didn't even have any more words. They were that kind of angry where all you can do is make sounds because you're so mad. And they rushed at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Now, what do you do? What do you do when people stone you for your testimony about Jesus? You fight back, right? Self-defense. Watch what Stephen does. He utters two phrases, both of which are similar to those found on the lips of the Lord on the cross. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And the other, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In the opposition, he entrusts himself to God. He entrusts himself to God. And he prays for God's forgiveness for those who have wronged him. And there's an interesting note here. The same verb that is used to describe the crying out of his opposers, that rage-filled, violent cry, is the same verb used to describe Stephen's calling out to his Lord for their forgiveness. They shrieked in rage and violence. Stephen, as he was dying, shrieked with a call of forgiveness toward those who were stoning him. Brothers and sisters, after we've told the story right in our spirit, after we've told the story right, the right content, we have to be prepared to tell it right with our actions. We have to be prepared to follow the example of our Lord, whom Peter writes this about. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And Peter doesn't say this about Christ so, just so that we can marvel at the demeanor of our Lord in his suffering. He says it as an example for us to follow. In the same way that Christ faced down opposition and did not repay evil for evil, so you, as you face down opposition, are not to repay evil for evil. Your anger, your anger will not produce the righteousness of God. I'm going to help some of you all this morning. Stop using social media as a place to spew your anger and hide behind your rage. That is not how God calls us to behave as the people of God. If you want to speak truth, speak truth. Speak righteousness. Speak what God calls you to speak and calls you to say from his word, but don't use that platform as a means of expressing your unrighteous anger and rage. 
How many people have got? Stephen understood. He understood that his actions, as he faced down this opposition, were as important as what he was saying. Because to say the truth, to tell the story right, and then not follow the Lord in receiving whatever comes as a result of telling that story, undermines the story you just told. My question for us this morning is, are we, are we prepared to entrust ourselves to God in the face of opposition and to pray for those who oppose us? Yes, we must dispute, listen to my words, we must dispute the false narratives that our opposers put out there to deceive and to mislead by telling the story right with our demeanor and with our content. But we must also tell it right in our actions, following our Lord in his sufferings, even on behalf of those who oppose us. Amen, people of God. Amen, people of God. Stephen told the story right. He told it with the right spirit, the right content, and the right actions. So my question for us this morning, so you want people to hear the story? You want them to believe it? You want them to embrace it? You want people to come to know the Lord? You want, to, you want them to give their lives to his kingdom? You want them to follow him? and be drawn to his body, to his family, then tell the story right. Tell the story right. Tell it with the right actions, with the right content. Tell it with the right spirit. And God will bless that telling of his story. You know how I know it? Because after Stephen was stoned, as he was being stoned, in fact, they were throwing his garments at the feet, their, their garments, they were throwing their garments, their outer robe at the feet of one man named Saul, a young man who was actually approving of Stephen's execution. And because Stephen was committed to telling the story right, the right spirit, the right content, the right actions, that man who was once approving of his death the Lord grabbed his life, transformed him, turned his whole narrative around, and he became not a persecutor of the church, he became one of God's servants to proclaim the good news of his gospel to the world around him. Stephen's commitment to telling the story right led to the conversion of Saul, who became the apostle Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament and proclaimed the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. What will happen if we commit ourselves to telling the story right as well in our own day? Amen, people of God. Jesus, give us the power, the power of your spirit to follow our brother Stephen in telling the story right. Let me pray for us. Father, we need you and we need the power of your spirit to be at work in us. Because we're weak and we're vulnerable, Lord, to the temptations of our flesh, and we're vulnerable to the temptations of the world around us, 
And Lord, when we are opposed, it can be very difficult to walk in these things that you call us to. Father, we want to respond in anger. We want to revile back. We want to threaten. We want to do the things that you actually tell us not to do. And we confess that, Lord. We don't come pretending and acting like we got it all together. We come knowing that that's in us. And so we need your spirit to be at work in us, to root those things out of us and to replace, Lord, those sinful emotions and desires and passions and actions, to replace them with the grace and wisdom and power and glory of your character in us, Lord. So we pray by the power of the Spirit, work these things in us for the glory of your name and for the advance of your gospel in this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.